Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 10 and 2 Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. We are going to be talking a lot about your Minnesota Vikings and a, a few elements that don't necessarily jump off the page as to why the Minnesota Vikings won the game against the New York Jets. But we're going to talk a lot about it today, and that is the red zone defense. Yes, the defense won the Vikings the football game. We're going to tell you all about it. And we're going to talk about the Lions game and how the Vikings unexplicitly went from favorites to underdogs within a matter of two hours this morning. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter. Host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. As well as a member of Climbing the Pocket. You are looking live. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, up in the corner, producer Dave down in Texas. Dave. Did you have a heart attack yesterday like I did? Because let me tell you, that was stressful. Yes, it was. My heart was racing like crazy at the end of that game. And that's not good for me. I'm too old for that shit. But 10 and 2, baby. 10 and 2. Rack up another another W. Oh, yeah. It was, look, you can say a lot about this team. You can say a lot about the game. They're finding ways to win, and it is objectively fan-freaking-tastic. It's really hard to make any sort of complaint about where this Vikings team currently is because they're winning. They continue to win, and they're doing a great job of finding new ways to win. One of those ways that the Vikings have figured out how to win, Dave, forcing turnovers to clinch football games. This is the fourth time they've done it so far this season. Also, the fourth month they've done it. They've done it in September against the Lions with the Josh Metellus interception. Did it in October when Cam Dantzler stripped Amir Smith-Marset. Did it in November when Patrick Peterson picked off Josh Allen in the red zone. And to clinch a 4-0 record, an undefeated record for the first time ever against the AFC East in the midst of a season, the Vikings picked off Mike White with a Cam Bynum interception on fourth down to seal the deal. Dave... I know there's a lot of different things to talk about this game, but I want to talk first about this red zone defense. Overall, big picture, Dave, the defense doesn't necessarily look the greatest. I mean, how can it? They allowed, for I believe, 496 yards to the Jets, starting a backup quarterback, and the rushing game just was not there on a consistent level. Now, Zonovan Knight did have that long run, but it was mainly the passing game that was dominant on the day with Mike White throwing for, I believe, 396 yards. might have been 369, and I, I'm having a, a moment of dyslexia where I'm mixing the numbers up. I'm going to take a look here in a well, second. But And Donatel says, you know, yards don't particularly matter. It's scores. How many points oh, yeah. can they restrict them to? And he is technically correct. You know, you go back to the old John Madden, you score more points than the opposition, you win the game. Oh, absolutely. And I will say this much, Dave. He's right. It's about allowing points. And the Vikings allowed 22 points against the Jets. But most importantly, 
only one touchdown in six red zone attempts. 16 total points in six red zone attempts. Anybody is going to take that. And if you can play that kind of defense in the red zone, and we're going to pull up some red zone numbers here. Yes, um, but I we had don't want up, them to think... get into the red zone to have those attempts. Oh, That's where the old style folks are, like me. Yeah, well, this is also the new age NFL. You you have to uh, somewhat adapt. You still want to go with that old school style that you're talking about. Don't even allow them in the red zone. I am all for that. But let's also just be honest with ourselves. It's not 100% how that works. Um, the Vikings have allowed. Now, if this is these numbers are going to be kind of stark. Um, oh, shoot. Is it not updated through today's games yet? Yesterday's find games? out, but yeah, that, are you, that's are you looking at Elias Sports Bureau numbers? No, ESPN. I'm looking at Pro Football Reference. Ah. All right, here we go. They are updated. The Vikings have allowed the 13th least red zone attempts, so they are 20th in the National Football League in allow. Or sorry, they're tied 19th. 37 trips to the red zone. That is a shade over three per game. That's a pretty good number. Um, the Atlanta Falcons are worse than the NFL, allowing 47. That is four per game. That can make a really big difference. Now, the Vikings have only allowed 21 touchdowns on red zone um, possessions. That currently is middle of the pack, tied for 15th in the league. But the red zone percentage, Dave, how many, how often they allow teams to score they are sitting at 20th in league at 56.8%. A few weeks ago, we were talking about this Vikings team being the worst in the National Football League at allowing touchdowns in the red zone. The last two weeks, they are one for nine. One touchdown in nine attempts. I'd say that's pretty darn good. They didn't allow one touchdown against the New England Patriots, and they only allowed one against double the attempts of the New York Jets. And... I think what's really important here is the Vikings have figured out a a way to be great inside the 20. They only allowed, I think it was one touchdown on four attempts against the Buffalo Bills. Now the Cowboys game, we're not going to count that. Everybody stunk. Everybody. There's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I call that the mulligan game. Yeah, I think that's a really good way um, to kind of talk about it, Dave. A mulligan game is perfect because everybody was bad. They took a step back, they regrouped, they figured it out on a short week, and it was honestly the best news for Kevin O'Connell as far as how he's going to keep progressing as a head coach. He showed a lot to us that week and very, very impressive. But I want to say this. The red zone defense is objectively very good, Dave. They're figuring out ways to get stops. And I think one of the things that's helping is the style of covers that they play. When you take a look at it, now you're going to hear the word shell coverage. That is a lazy as hell term uh, that's essentially meant for the casual viewer to kind of give a super broad synopsis of what you're doing. The Vikings are technically playing a shell. They want to keep everything in front of them so they they don't prevent any big plays. So in theory, it's correct. But it's really not correct in how the Vikings are practicing it. They're trying to play. They play a lot of quarter, quarter, half. So one half of the field will be quarters coverage. 
where um, that half of the field, you'll have two deep guys, usually a corner and a safety. They'll each have a quarter of the football field that they're responsible for. They usually follow receivers as they go deep. And then there's a guy shallow. On the other side is half coverage. So you have one safety, usually Cam Bynum, playing that half of the field. That's all his space. You have a guy shallow, and then you have a guy, another guy shallow as well. And it's just a different style of coverage. So one of the, the key things with this defense is they want it, they want to keep things guessing. They want to keep you guessing. They'll kind of mash up looks, play some zone blitzing, which the Vikings blitzed 11% more this week than they have all season. Um, really, really nice to see some adjustments from Ed Donatel. I noticed consistently that he was trying to get pressure in creative ways. I thought it was great. Now, one of the things with these coverages is you can kind of mix match them and you can adjust based on what you're seeing in front of you, what the, how the offense is lining up. You want to keep everything, uh, prevent you from actually going deep. Now, there are beaters. And what these beaters are, they're plays specifically designed to beat certain coverages. And it's really interesting to see how they're attacking these beaters. And we talked about, I think we talked about it last week where Cam Bynum got torched on the first touchdown against Patriots. That was a beater. So you're playing the half coverage and you got quarters on the other side and they run a seam go and an outside go. And then Bynum's got a midpoint, the two. Well, he played it right. He just stumbled. Um, And the kind of long and the short, all these defenses are designed to prevent you from really taking deep shots. And you have to beat us by a thousand cuts. We'll let you try. But as you get closer to the to the red zone, if the running game is not working, you have to throw. And what these defenses do is, hey, I'm playing quarter, quarter, half. But instead of having to cover like potentially 60 yards of field, oh, you're at the 10-yard line? I only have to cover 20. My job's way easier. And then you get a lot of condensed looks. You have a lot more narrow passing lanes, and you have to throw a lot more with timing and rhythm or create off structure. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Vikings have been so successful. They have figured out a way to utilize these schemes that are allowing yards during the course of the entire game, Dave, but they're figuring out ways to stop them in the red area, and it's because the field is so condensed. And if they can figure out ways to be more successful when the offense has more space to utilize – then I think this is where the Vikings can really take that next step. And I'm going to be very impressed to see if Ed Donatel is able to figure that out. There's a lot of talent on this team. There's a lot of talent specifically with Donatel. He's got over 30 years in the NFL. He's got coaching experience. Uh, but there's, there is something to be desired, and that's why fans are so frustrated with this defense because in between the 20s, they are objectively booty. <laughs> I, I agree. But when they get into the red zone, it compresses the field. And like you said, Cam Bynum has less area to cover. Harrison Smith has less area to cover. The linebackers, if they're dropping back, have less area to cover. And the linebackers have been an issue, Mm -hmm. um, especially between the 20s when it comes to pass coverage. So it's – I agree with you 100%. Uh, I do like that they had – were cycling in ways to get more pressure. They were cycling in pass rushing duos. Yes, Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter are by far our best. 
but we saw Patrick Jones come in quite a bit. We see DJ Wanham come in, and they were keeping the guys fresh, fresh legs. And that can work very much so. I was hoping it would work more. I expect it will work more on Sunday when we place when we face the kiddies for the second time, but we'll see. Yeah, um, Dave, uh, do me a favor. Let's uh, let's pull up Raymond's comment from a few minutes ago because I want to talk about that. Um, I will, and while you do that, I'm going to answer Dave's question about uh, time of possession um, because I have the ESPN window pulled up on my spare monitor. Um, the Jets barely won time of possession, 31-38 to 28-22. So essentially it was a wash. Now, if you're talking like 35 to 25, that's when you're going to have that big disparity. I think that's where it comes into play. But because it's so narrow, I don't think the Jets necessarily had an advantage, if that makes sense. Um, Raymond asks, uh, why do you assume that the new age football will last? Most things go in patterns. Power running could come back due to light linebackers and safeties. Most teams are going uh, to the keep everything in front. So I think this is a loaded question, Raymond. And I'm really glad you brought this up because I think we also have to understand while the NFL can be super creative and Mike Zimmer was a, incredible at being creative and utilizing his personnel. Yeah, he had his issues, but when he had dudes, he had some of the best defenses in the NFL and one of the best defense the Vikings have ever had in 2017 because he had the dudes to do it. They just weren't able to afford a lot of those guys because guys like, hey, Daniel Hunter, rookie contract. They extended Everson Griffin. They extended Linval. They extended Xavier Rhodes, who's also on a rookie contract. Harrison Smith was on a second question. Um, Todd, go ahead and, and ask it out. We'll get to it here shortly. Um, but I think, Raymond, I, you're right. Things do go in patterns. But the reason why the NFL is ne- doesn't always adapt, per se, to like the kind of stark contrast you're talking about um, is because they can only utilize what the college game is giving them. If you don't have guys who can run a a power scheme and stay relatively durable, like Derrick Henry, there's only one Derrick Henry. And that's one of the reasons why the Titans are so successful because he's an anomaly. He is the outlier. He can run this power game and he can run it in his zone blocking scheme. It's He's a very unique personality. And the Titans play in a different style that most people can't. Um, I think that you're going to see some teams try to run more, but I also think take a look at the 49ers and why they're so successful, Raymond. Um, They don't just run wide zone. They run duo. They run counter. And they have guys like Trent Williams pulling. And when Trent Williams pulls, imagine a super athletic freak that weighing 320 pounds running straight at you like a locomotive. Like that's the kind of thing that San Francisco can do. And you're seeing teams run variations of that while utilizing these zone blocking concepts. So I think there are things with patterns, but I also don't think that the college game is going to be giving you power football anytime soon, because one, the NFL understands and even college teams understand like having a stud running back in college makes a humongous difference in comparison to have a stud running back in the NFL. They're usually some of the best athletes on the field. And defenses can be easily manipulated by tremendous backs. Once they get to the NFL, they don't always have that same translation. It's just kind of the way it is. Uh, I I think you'll see a few teams here and there run that superpower style. Georgia, tremendously successful at it. But they have like 
top three recruiting classes so they can just go pick all the best dudes. Well, if you don't have tremendous tight ends like they do, it's going to be a lot harder to run those kind of concepts. And I use that point because if the if college football is not sending you all that stuff, it's going to be harder for all these teams to start running it, even if it becomes a trend. Um, I, I do think that the Vic Fangio scheme is going to run its course, just like the Seattle Cover 3, just like the Tampa 2. You're not going to be able to run it exactly the way Vic Fangio had it. And there's going to have to be offshoots. There's going to have to be adaptation, but it's the most popular one because of guys like Mahomes, Burrow, Herbert, guys who can just uh, like the old adage, chuck it and fuck it. They could do that and get away with it because they have tremendous arm talent. And running this kind of scheme makes them beat you while being less dynamic. And that's why it is as popular as it is. I think you're, once the Vikings get more horses to run this defense even more effectively, you're going to see a lot of improvements. The best examples of this defense being successful, the 2018 Chicago Bears, when they traded for Khalil Mack, they had Leonard Floyd, Roquan Smith, Eddie Jackson, all-pro Kyle Fuller outside. They had the dudes to run it. Akeem Hicks in the middle. And last year's Denver Broncos. And then you could even say this year's Denver Broncos because they're running a very similar style. You have the dudes to run this defense. It's tremendous. But that's the thing. You have to have the dudes to run it. And quite frankly, the Vikings aren't quite there yet. Next year, I think we're going to see a lot of improvements because they're going to have an improved roster. And they will not have to be spending all offseason installing the defense, which I'm going to be honest, is a big, big deal. Not having to install a defense is going to help because they're already going to have that base knowledge. It's like going into Algebra 2 without having done Algebra 1. Yeah, you're going to get there, but you're going to take a lot of time to get there. Next year, they're going to be able to go up towards like calculus because they're going to already have so much ingrained knowledge from this season, and it's going to make such a massive difference. So you're going to see something evolve from this. I don't know what that is yet. Nobody knows what that is yet. We're going to know when somebody creates it. And when that happens, we'll be talking about it. And we'll be asking ourselves, should the Vikings do this? But until then, like this defense is working. And it's going to keep getting better with comfortability and better, better horses to run it. Well, one of the parts of this defense is they wanted speed. That's why Lewis Sane was drafted. Uh, that's why Brian Asamoah. Asamoah was drafted, and we saw more of Asamoah in the game on Sunday, which is a good thing, and Mm -hmm. that will come. But you are dead correct, 100%. It's what college is giving you. And as we talked about, football is cyclical, or I have many times, and it is. We'll go back, we'll switch things, heavy run, heavy pass, and it all goes, and the defense tries to figure it out, shuts it down, and it's almost – defense is always reacting. It's it's a little bit late most of the time, so you have the big pass happy. Well, now that's sort of getting shut down because they've gone more to the zone coverage to keep all that stuff in front. Um, but how do you beat that? You run the ball more. Well, do you have the horses to run the ball? You talked about the big monster backs. Well, part of that also mm-hmm. comes with – the style of line play, and Todd's been talking about this too, is you have 
basically two styles of line. It's more than that, but basically two. You got power and zone, right? Zone takes a smaller lineman, moves him fast, moves him at angles. Power is just uh, mano y mano. I got, I'm the biggest dude here, and I'm going to take you out on the other side, right? And I hope to push at the snap of the ball. The offensive line hopes to push you three yards. If they can push the whole defense three yards every time, they'll run every time. It works like a champ. But they don't, they don't train. College football doesn't play that way. High school doesn't play that way. Um, and they don't have, even though the guys are of size, Right, uh, there's plenty of big ones, but they they don't learn that style of football, and a lot of the rules have been changed so they can't play as effectively in that style of football. Will that come back? It may well, um, but it's going to take building over time to get that way. Ed Ingram falls into that sort of more of a power style bucket, and we use him in a zone. It's uh. It's something we the coaches have to adapt. We have to adapt every year. Will we eventually come back around? Sure, we will. Heck, I even heard an announcer, uh, announcer this weekend on one of the games talk about they ran you know a portion of the old wing T. Wing T was around in the early nineteen hundreds. So um, it all comes back. It's just how we go through these cycles. So. And I agree with you. The defense is going to learn. They're going to come in next season, and they're going to have mm-hmm. a lot of this down, and they'll go from there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A um, couple things. I'm going to answer a question that Todd had about Adam Thielen running horizontal instead of vertical. He's kind of always done that. He's His idea is to look for as much space as he can so he can get yards, but sometimes he doesn't always make the best decision or have the best vision. Against the uh, Patriots, he ran horizontal when he should have run vertical. You would have gotten about five or six more yards. I think it's just a vision thing, and Thielen doesn't have the best in the open field. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that has limited him as far as being more than a possession-style receiver. And it's not a slight on Thielen. He's tremendous, and he's had a great career. But some guys have it, and some guys don't. I don't think Thielen has it. But I'm going to use that, Dave, as a transition because – one thing I saw a couple times, and we talked about it on the final score, which make sure you check out every Vikings game at the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter until the end, and then there will be even more analysis afterwards. Heck, when the Vikings played the Bills, the show was an hour and a half long. It, there is no time constraint. It is until the game is done. Tremendous stuff. I joined Dave yesterday, and one thing I noticed, two times in the – early in the game Kirk Cousins threw a corner route the receiver ran it flat Thielen did it once and Jefferson did it once now I'm going to try and find out the reason why and I'm going to ask around but one thing there's two things I think it could be it's either a miscommunication where it's either the fault of the corner sorry the receiver or the quarterback or it's a choice route and Pre-snap, Kirk is seeing something different than what the receiver is seeing post-snap, and they are not on the same page. Like it's, I think it's one of those two things. Somebody's at fault, but they both could technically be right. It's, it's a very interesting one, and it was very disappointing to see that at this point in the season, considering how many times they've run some of these plays, because 
this entire offense, it's like what uh, Coach Boone ran in Remember the Titans. Six plays, split beer, just like Novocaine. Give it time, it always works. Like, you're oh, running the, the same, like, you're, you're – oh, absolutely. I, I hate the beer, too. It's incredibly difficult to play against because it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't stay disciplined, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it like, being a military guy like yourself, Dave, you understand discipline. Discipline, as simple as a concept as it is, it's incredibly difficult because you have to stay consistent. And the Vikings run about, I, I guess, around eight to ten passing concepts, and then they spam them. And what I mean by that is they continuously run them. But yeah. they run them from different formations. They run them from different looks. And it doesn't necessarily matter because you're always seeing a different look every time they run, let's say, dagger, where they run a – a go route, a nine route from the inside, and then usually a guy like Jefferson, because Cooper Cup did this all last year, runs a backside dig. So it goes up about 10, 15 yards and cuts right inside. And the idea of that inside go route is to clear out that safety, and then you have this nice pocket that he can just settle down in. Easy pitch and catch as long as you have the protection. They do that consistently. So the fact that they missed these, Dave, to me was inherently fr- more frustrating than anything else. Uh, David's talking about their Jets may have dictated flat routes. That's where we're talking about. It could be a miscommunication on the receivers heard something in the huddle that they thought that Kirk didn't convey correctly, or it was a read on the receiver's part or a a read on Kirk's part that they got screwed up. And it could be. So, it's, we don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to find out that answer, Dave. I don't know what the answer is right now. But, I do like a lot of the things that this, uh, that this group is doing. Um, I, I also want to point out, um, I'll have to pull it up. I don't know who wrote the piece for zone coverage. It was not our our good friend, Luke. Hmm. Um, well, while you I'm do that, to, I want to answer. Um, Warren said, good point, Todd, but Ingram's the worst pass protecting guard in the league. That is not technically true. He is second or third from the bottom. Not the worst. Out of All right. playing 50% snaps, he's 50. Out of 52. We're talking about Ingram, right? I am. And he's improving. Okay. He's gotten better. So I want to point that out. That's that's what I was looking up, Dave. Um, Rob Searles uh, wrote an article for Zone Coverage talking about how um, Ingram has put together consecutive strong performances. Um, Ingram's first nine games, 10.5% pressure rate allowed. Not great. Through last week, it was at 8.9%. Just in the last three games, 4.3 pressure rate allowed. 4.3%. He's flashing. And I wrote a long piece um, asking, hey, should the Vikings be um, benching Ed Ingram? I really don't think so. Because he is, one, you have to let him learn. If you don't let him learn, you're doing him and your team a major, major disservice. 
Um, it's it, Ezra Cleveland dealt with a lot of this his rookie year, 2020. Remember how bad that offensive line was? Oh, there were a lot of issues with it. But you gave Cleveland time to learn, and now he's a he's a like top 20 guard in football. He's not great, but when free agency comes, somebody's going to give him 10, 12 million dollars because mm-hmm. he's playing very, very well at the position. Ingram has the potential to get there. Will he get there? I don't know. Like, there's so many variables with how you project out players. I think he could get there because he's shown a lot. And I will have, I will find that piece here real quick because I am, I am always working with the Vikings wire and make sure you check out everything I do with the Vikings. Nah, wire. I read that piece. Because, it's a good piece. Yes. Um, I will put it in the comments here for you. Um, it's just Vikings film room. Should Ed Ingram be benched? And I'm going to be honest. The answer is no. It's an unequivocally no, unless something comes out. Cause we know that there was the off field. Something comes out that just paints that in an even worse light. Then, then you take him off the field, but for his on field play, the answer is absolutely not. There's too much good with Ed Ingram right now. There really is. There's a he is able to make a lot of different types of blocks. Um, I I just I think that it would be a disservice to both Ed Ingram and, and the team. Yeah, absolutely, and the team. Um, plus, who's going to be better, Dave? Dan, overall, who's going to be PFF? better? Ezra is number 10 on 50% of snaps. Okay. Um, so, um, Andrew just asked, why do we have to rate and see? 56. Well, this one is interesting. I think if Reed had a full camp, he probably wins that job. But Ed, and because he takes off, like he takes away some of the reps from Ingram. And I think because he takes away some of those reps, then that makes it a little more difficult um, to like give him the opportunity to shine that he needs to really come out and just outright win that job. He was very, very good in the preseason. Hey, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, Joseph, uh, take a shot for me, man. That's yeah. Um, I'm, Look, I, I, I'm not one to, like, badmouth other people, but, like, you have to understand where you're getting your com- content from and why you're getting it from them. If you want to hear people talk in huge platitudes and sometimes absurdities and overreact, like, that's what the talking heads on ESPN and Fox do. That's okay. There's a place for it. There really is. That's not what we do here. And you're not going to get that from us because we're going to talk, try and talk in reality. We're going to try and give you honest opinions, leveled takes that have data and film backing them up. Like if you want to listen to Stephen A. Smith make a fool of himself, hey, there's a reason he's successful. He's good at making a fool of himself. He's very good at it. But that's not us. And somebody mentioned that they're glad they're in a like-minded community earlier. Look, we're all Vikings fans that want the same thing. And we're not afraid to tell them when they're doing something wrong. And we're not afraid to tell them when they're doing something right. We're going to tell you how it is. We're going to do it with a smile. 
and we're going to look like TJ Hawkinson doing it. All right. <clears throat> well, Dave's not going to look like TJ Hawkinson, but I am. You've got now, the hair. I, I wish I, I do was, not. I wish I was as athletic and in shape as TJ Hawkinson. Let me tell you. But I've got my Unreal Co. hoodie that uh, my buddy picked up for me because I got screwed on the launch. 11.01, I had them both in the cart ready to check out. And 11.02, they were gone. It was hilarious. But we're kind of getting off track here. But sometimes that's where the best conversation comes from. Well, I want to answer Todd. Todd asks, are we impressed with Bradbury this year? What a turnaround. Um, I never anticipated it, Todd. I figured he was going to be his old, same old self, being forklift back and forth. I always said he had potential and that it was a more of a technique thing with him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of that's been fixed this season, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big things, Dave, and I, I want your opinion if you agree. I don't think Bradbury's not necessarily better this year. Like, it, there's been some minor improvements, but I think they're just, it's more about them doing a better job hiding Bradbury's flaws than him truly improving. Would you agree with that? There's, there's a bit of that, but he's also improved on quite a bit. Yes. I've watched where he is in the past would have been lifted in a Kirk's lap where he's actually defeated the defender and held his own. Part of that is if uh, Kirk's not under center as much, right? That's the, hey, we're going to scheme it so he has more time to set up his blocks. Also, he's getting help from the guards purposely through the scheme how they're calling the blocking assignments where they well they'll, where they'll set up a wall on a side right um, that helps certain things there but he has improved in his technique a bit and that you can see that in his game it's not uh it's not just all scheme no it's not um i think when you Uh-oh. And we get the internet gremlins. Yes, you're back. There we go. You're, I'm back. I'm going to exit out of YouTube because I, I had put in a couple comments, but that could have been what was doing it. Um, I think we can look back, Dave, on that 2021 Rams team. Uh-huh. And it's kind of lazy, but because the architect of that offense, as far as scheme and game planning were concerned, were Kevin O'Connell – I think you can make that translation and feel pretty comfortable. One of the things that they did really well is center Brian Allen, fourth-year guy last year. With a similar record to Bradbury. Yes, very similar track record, very similar flaws, very similar strengths. You know what they did? They maximized him, and they made him into a serviceable player, and they ended up giving him a big extension. I think those little nuances – that they were able to do with Brian Allen, they're also doing with Garrett Bradbury. And it's really fun to watch the growth and development of this player and how they're using him. I love it. I think it's tremendous. I also think, and we can go down the rabbit hole, 
I was thinking it's why the Vikings probably shouldn't re-sign Garrett Bradbury because I think he's going to cost too much money. What is, what's the, considering our cap situation, Dave, because that has to be part of the conversation. How much money are you comfortable considering where the Vikings are at giving Garrett Bradbury per season? His fifth year option would have been worth 12. He's nowhere near that, maybe six. Um, but I think he's going to demand more than that. So I'd let him walk. He's got the, <laughs> the butt sweat problem. We can find a good center in the draft next year. I I think he's one of those where you s- save money by letting him walk and drafting somebody versus re-signing him. If you re-sign him, even at my number, it's say $6 million per, that's $6 million more that goes to the cap versus a rookie that's going to cost a million or two. So, And you're going to need that for other investments because there are some people that are on one-year deals this year that we may want to re-sign. Patrick Peterson may be one of them. He's having a renaissance season. Uh, he's one. You've got uh, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson on the line. He could be another because his contract's up. There are mm-hmm. some people that you are going to want to re-sign, and you're going to need a rack and stack, and then find out, look at who's available in the draft, and is there somebody that can step in straight off the get-go? And a center you can generally find in the second and third round, a high-quality center that can mm-hmm. do that. So it, it it's yeah. going to be up to Quasi to find those people and look at them and then weigh the cost versus, well, I want to keep Bradbury, all right? That's going to cost us here. If I keep Bradbury, I can't keep Peterson or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And we'll get into that, hopefully, you know, a week or two after the Super Bowl win, and we're all celebrating and finally sobering up. Yeah, but listen, uh, if if the Vikings end up winning a Super Bowl, um, listen, Dave, you and I may be getting drunk on the air that Monday because it is going to be special. I guarantee Uh, That that final score is going to be lit. I guarantee it. Like, the, the only thing I can think is I'm I'm honestly going to be covering the game because of my um, my responsibilities for Vikings Wire. I, I won't even get a chance to really celebrate because I'll have to just start bumping out content. Well, and it, it, is that not the most Vikings thing? I won't be able to, like, run around, pop bottles or anything. I'm just going to have to sit at my computer and type, type, type. Like, that's it's just perfect, right? Um, but let's answer this question from Raymond. Uh, Raymond, I really appreciate your thought-provoking questions, and I mean that with all sincerity. Um, it it's it's really good to kind of um, delve into some of these topics. And one of these days, we're going to have a questions-only show where it's just you guys feeding me stuff, and we have good conversations. Um, do you think that Kirk, uh, we could get him to stay for less? Um, Raymond has a feeling that Kirk is going to get an extension and make it team-friendly because of his relationship with KOC. That's interesting. Um, I had lunch with our, our uh, German friend, uh, Jonas Stark, who um, makes a lot of appearances here on Climbing the Pocket today. He, is in, he was in town for the game, so we had an opportunity to meet one of the nicest guys. Uh, highly recommend you go follow him on Twitter. Um, I think well, we were having the same conversation. Uh, would Kirk Cousins, because of 
situationally, would he be willing to take a st- take less on a on a longer term extension? Because at the end of his career, Drew Brees wasn't asking asking for market value. He was making I don't know five to ten million dollars less than the top quarterbacks were making. And, and we know Tom Brady did that big. most of his career. Well, Tom Brady, I won't compare it to Dave. Tom Brady was married to G- Giselle. Obviously, they're getting a divorce now. But Giselle was making like three times what he was making. It was it was a different and unique circumstance. So I read into that one less. But Plus Tom Peyton Brady Manning, was getting paid off on the side with a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Crafts have been um, good. Peyton that. Manning told GMs, "Look, it's not my problem to deal with the cap. It's, it's yours. It is your job to figure that out. Pay me what I'm worth." He has every right to do that. Every player has every right to do that. I will not shame a player for doing that. As a fan, sure, it's a little frustrating. Would I like them to take less so we can have more here? Absolutely. Why blame them? Nah, not at all. Um, and I think Cousins is in an interesting spot. If they want to move on from him, Cousins has the all-wielding veto power on the trade, so he can dictate Next where he year. goes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but he's also going to be $35 million on the cap. Just from his salary, I believe his cap hit, Dave, is going to be $41.25 million. I was about to say 42 um, I, Yeah, it's up there. I actually have over the cap pulled up. What do you know? Because we were looking at free agents. Let's look at Kirky Boy in 2023. Kirk Cousins, cap nope, cap hit is $36.25 million. So it is um, a $10 million base salary, a $20 million roster bonus, and the prorated signing bonus of $6.25 million. So you're looking at good old Kirky Boy, and you could shrink that cap hit down. You already have $12.5 million pushed out into future years. If he were to take an extension, like, let's let's go with what Raymond's saying. I, I don't see the Vikings being able to get this done because you have older quarterbacks getting buku bucks. Russell Wilson getting massive money. Aaron Rodgers, $50 million. Why would Kirk Cousins look at the Vikings and be like, yeah, I'll take 25? Like he right now, he's getting about market value for what he is thirty five million. That's about right. Derek Carr just got it. It was kind of a fake contract extension, three years, hundred twenty. They can cut him for like one million in dead cap after this year. Like, I think he's getting paid about his market value. I don't know if he's going to be willing to take less because at the end of the day, it's not his issue. Now, if you can get him for less, hell yeah, I was a big proponent. I'll resign Kirk. Take ten million off his contract. Then let's get let's get another weapon. Let's get another old lineman. But we weren't able to do that. We got him for honestly less than I thought we would have, considering what the market was growing to be. That one year thirty five million dollar extension, Dave. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens this offseason. because Kirk has objectively played worse while he's also played better. So, but the tangible proof outside of record. Like his stats are down across the board. But when you watch the film, which needs to be taken into consideration, because there's some people like, oh, I don't want to hear about your eyes. No, you, you have to use your eyes because that's data. Data is important in these conversations. Analytics, baseline stats, and film all combine to form a the tr- the most honest opinion, most informed opinion you can have. I'm very interested to see what happens with Kirk because his quarterback class is good, mm-hmm. and Kirk Cousins is 34. 
but he's also winning at a much higher rate than he's ever done before. I'm very intrigued to see what that happens. Joseph, I will text the wife and maybe we can get an appearance from Mr. Odie boy. Wife is home today. So I, I get Woo-hoo. to do this in peace while my feet being bit. It's wonderful. Your toes being used as a chew toy. Oh, well, at, am, at some point, due to Kirk's age, the team is going to have to look for the future. Now, if they say drafted one this year, and I don't know if they're going to be in a position to, um, it would be nice to have that person sit and get groomed by Kirk mm-hmm. next year, right? I, I believe postponing putting you know, that rookie quarterback in there that first year is a good thing because generally they get killed. Um, But at some point they're going to need to do that because Kirk is 34, which is traditionally the average age when quarterbacks start to fall off their cliff. It's been Mm -hmm. extraordinary that guys have played in their 40s. That's unusual. Mm -hmm. Now, Warren Moon is probably the biggest catalyst of that. He was a starter for the Vikings in his 40s. That 95 season was pretty dang good. Now, if you've never met Odie, this is my sweet boy. This is Odie boy. Say hi, Odie. He's a good boy. Look at the Odie. All right, he is ready to go down. I'm going to give him back to the wife. Brian's nervous about JJ's salary contract. It's going to be the Wolves are going to back up the Brinks truck and give him a blank check and say, Mm -hmm. right, he's – You've got the best wide receiver in the NFL. You get him what he wants. Yeah. I will. I did a long piece about uh, Justin Jefferson's extension, Dave. I'm going to put that as well in the, uh, in the comments so people can read that. I'm going to be honest. I think that uh, Jefferson is going to get a big extension. I think he deserves a big extension. I think you give him a big extension. What really intrigues me about his extension, and then I want to get um, to – uh, talking specifically about um, whatchamacallit, the uh, the Detroit Lions, because we're only going to have a limited amount of time to do so. Um, I think this extension is going to be short. I don't think it's going to be a long-term extension. And I think that's not necessarily something the Vikings are going to love. I think it's uh, something that Jefferson is going to demand. Now, one thing I did in that article is I listed all the recent extensions for wide receivers. A lot of extensions this offseason. DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams. Like We had a lot of big-name receivers signing long-term extensions. But only the older guys signed extensions four years or greater. Only one Going into his second contract, signed a four-year deal, and that was A.J. Brown. He got $25 million a year, more than any of the other guys that signed those two- or three-year extensions. And I think that's noteworthy. Right, because the they want to come back the, up while they're still in their prime. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if Justin Jefferson came into the league at 21, okay, if he signs a three-year extension, he can cash in again before he's 30. He'll, he'll negotiate that at 28. Like, I think that's going to be a factor that necessarily getting a lot of pub right now because they are figuring it out, Dave. They, like, 
they're figuring out how to maximize their money. Because look, some people may see it as greedy. I see it as, hey, you have a narrow window to make as much money as you can playing this incredibly violent game that can destroy your body. Take advantage of it. Get as much money as you can. Absolutely. Enjoy the money. And I think, I don't know what kind of person Jefferson is as far as how he values things. And I'm not going to try and extrapolate. But from a strictly business sense, my projection is three years, $96 million, fully guaranteed, $32 million a season. That's my guess. I also think that the Vikings might be willing to go a little higher as far as the average per year if he gives them more years. And I think that's, that's going to be the interesting aspect of this negotiation. Will he have to take a little less per year to get the shorter-term deal so he can cash in again in a couple years quicker? The, the All of these negotiations are very interesting, but I think Jefferson might get a fully guaranteed contract extension because of his style of play, it's sustainable. You're not asking him to be overly explosive. You're not asking him to, like, hey, you have to have deep speed. He is such a technician. And he's so great at it. And he's fast at the same time. But all everything he does, the style of play, I mean, it's sustainable. And you can expect him to continue to do that for years and years and years and years and years. And one thing that is really interesting about him, look at Chris Carter. Look at how sustainable his style of play was throughout the course of his career. Obviously, 94 and 95 when he hit 122 receptions each of those years. He was insane. He was tremendous. That type of production wasn't super sustainable, but he was at his absolute peak in prime. Those last three years with the Vikings, when it was him and Randy Moss, like he was still able to do a lot, but his athleticism was waning. And w- But because of his technical prowess and great hands, he was able to extend his career out quite a bit. And that instance, Dave, I think you can directly correlate to Justin Jefferson. Even when his athleticism wanes, you're going to see him win. And that's why Adam Thielen, with his athleticism waning, he's still able to win because of his style of winning has not changed. It's less explosive. He didn't get technically worse. He's losing a little bit of juice because as a natural athlete, that happens. Uh, part of getting older. So... I think you can uh, feel more comfortable about giving Jefferson a longer term deal, but it's going to. Whoa. This is where the internet decided to take a dump. But don't worry, we'll be right back. And we're back. Welcome back to the Real Porno Show. At Spectrum Internet, it went boop. We are are looking to place blame here, Dave. We are looking to talk about the Minnesota Vikings and. Technology stinks every once in a while, but it, it is also the benefit of us being able to do this tremendous show for you each and every week. Um, thank you if you are to, retuning in. Thank you for doing so. We, Todd, you're back. Great to see you, sir. We are going to be talking first and lastly about the Detroit Lions. Dave, the line on this game did a nice little flippy-do. Did the aliens return you safely? Oh, that's tremendous. Um, Dan, uh, that's fair. We will give everybody a moment. Um, (laughs) You know what? I actually said, Dave, that we're not going to blame anybody, but we're going to blame Joseph here. 
because I no. don't think he took a shot when I asked him to. Oh, um, is I, that I, it? I just I think it's Joseph's fault. So we're gonna we're gonna roll with that as we let people trickle back in. Um, I can't wait to hear Joseph's uh, uh, commentary here in just a moment. Um, we have some of the best fans in the world, and we appreciate you guys sticking with us here today. Um, all right, we've got some people coming back in. Let's talk about this Lions game. This morning, I wrote up for Vikings Wire. The Vikings were one point favorites. So about nine o'clock in the morning. By 11 o'clock. Well, last week Central they were three-point favorites. They went over the weekend. And, and that that's objectively fine because you saw a uninspiring performance from the Vikings and the, the Lions dominated the Jaguars 40-14. to 14. Um, So I, I'm not necessarily reading into that line changing from prior to Sunday to after Sunday. So I always go by what it opens at after the games. So it was a one-point Vikings spread, okay? That flippy dude to the Lions being favored by one point within two hours of me posting that article. Now, here, here's what can happen. Vegas is interesting. So they sharps are expert betters, okay? When sharps lean super heavy one way, they will influence line movement. So let's say Dave and I are two of 100 sharps, okay? We're going to heavy bet the Lions, which is what happened, all right? Then about 80 of our friends also bet really heavy on the Lions. Well, guess what that's going to do to the line? It's going to flippy-do it, and it's going to significantly slant. Normally, it doesn't slant this much. If we were a six-point favorite, it might be down to five and a half or five. It wouldn't move two points. But because it's, it was essentially a pick from the start, that's why it did the two-point swing. So... You can view it as disrespect, um, as Cliff kind of mentioned. I think it's a little bit disrespectful. I don't think it's completely disrespectful. The Lions know how to score. They have scored at home this year 45, excuse me, 36, 35, 31, and 31. Oh, and they've also scored 27. This team can flat out score at home. They've done a great job of it so far. They've won five games. This is a good Detroit Lions team, and they are very close to being able to really turn the corner and be a great team. They need another offseason. They need some more help on defense. They need to get healthy on defense. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. And I'm going to be honest. The Vikings can lose this game. And I'm not saying they're going to. But the Vikings almost lost to the Lions at U.S. Bank. This is a good team. You're going to have to play a good football game to beat a good team. And some of the key matchups, the first game, Jefferson had three catches for 14 yards. The Lions sold out to stop Justin Jefferson. They did everything to stop Justin Jefferson. But now the Vikings have T.J. Hawkinson, and this is going to be a revenge game for Hawk. (laughs) <laughs> How is Hawk going to do against his former team? What are they going to do to cover him? Are the Vikings going to shift their game plan away from Justin Jefferson, knowing what the Lions did last time? I think the battle between the Vikings' weapons and then the Lions' coverage is going to be the one to watch. How are they going to attack Jefferson? Is he going to torch them? Because, look, their plan was to bail, do everything they can to stop Jefferson, and they also went all out being super physical holding it almost every route. Like, hey, we're going to get called for some. 
but I bet we get a lot less calls than we actually commit. So that that matchup, Dave, is going to be fascinating. As we kind of wrap up here, what are you looking forward to watching the most um, between these two teams? Well, I I look at it and I don't understand why it's so close. If you look at power rankings, PFF does not like the Lions. They're higher on us on both sides of the ball. Overall, both sides of the ball, Vikings are a better squad. Yes, I like Man Campbell and his antics. Uh, it's, it's good. The Viking or the offense should be good. We'll see golf this time, unlike last time when we saw a bow. Um, and our defense is going to have their, uh, you know, Day cut out for him, but I think our offense will take advantage of it. Now, Slade did shut down Jefferson last time, but I think we have, and he may do it again Sunday, but if he does, we're, we're going to beat him in other ways, whether it be Hawkinson, which I think is going to be awful good, or if everybody follows, follows Jefferson this way, you'll see Adam Thielen squared out in the other direction. I think, and, uh, it's going to go better. And I even think Dalvin Cook's running better now. So it's – I'm not afraid of Sunday. I don't understand other than people forcing the line to move your Sharks or Sharps, forcing the line to move. And Vegas does do that. They want to bring in more money. So they'll wait one side or the other to bring in, you know, a whole bunch of people saying, no, nah, that ain't true. Right? And – uh Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to see. I still want to see a whole game by the Vikings, or at least ninety percent of the game by the Vikings, right? Where they don't go to sleep in the third quarter. I want to see a good third quarter. I want to see a good first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. So, and I think this is the perfect opportunity. the The Lions, even though they've got a lot of wins, they've been against bad teams. So. I, I'm looking forward to watching it. It's, you know, Kirk's perfect time, noon on Sunday. I think it's going to be fun, but I think the Vikings are going to come out on top. I don't, I think the Lions by one is disrespectful, and I think they're going to use it as such. Players are going to use it as such and go, oh, you got to be kidding me. So we'll see. I could be wrong, have been wrong in the past, but they're going to, I think they're going to go in there, and this is going to be. One of those games we've asked for, where it's done by, you know, the beginning of the third quarter, and we're just on, you know, kickback mode, waiting for the two-minute warning to go live. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I think the Vikings are going to figure out a way to win this game, and I think they're going to figure out a way to win it comfortably. Now, comfortably is a very relative term, but I think we're going to have a less stressful way to win a football game this week than we have in the previous few weeks. All right. I think the Vikings are going to take control at the end of the game and they are going to put the nail in the coffin rather than having to wait for the the other team to do it themselves. Um, We're going to be previewing it all week on the Real Forno Show. I have a puppy that is crying out for me, (laughs) wanting to get some pets. Um, Thank you guys for your patience. Thank you for jumping back on the second stream. After Joseph, unexplicably... Uh, ruined the first one. I'm absolutely kidding. It was not Joseph's fault, but he's a no, great sport. No, I, I chuck it up. Great spectrum. listener. I monitor yeah. our internet, um, and our internet went, da, 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 bam. 
and and that's yeah. what cut it. Sorry, folks. Well, we all can't have is. optical fiber to and from like FiOS when I had it in Virginia. God, that was the best internet service I ever had. Or believe it or not, there's an internet service in a town in Iowa where the town came together and they brought in their own system. And rather than a thousand gigs down and a thousand gigs up, it's ten thousand down and ten thousand up, and you can do anything on that thing. But I'm in Texas, and of course, you got a choice between two companies, and that's it. Yeah, hey, I'm in I'm in Delano, Minnesota, and we have about the same thing. So I'm with you. Yeah, uh, and we it's, have a- it's the way politics works. Yeah, uh, to my knowledge, Dave, we have a full slate this week, correct? And Yes, do we, do. we have a programming adjustment for next week as the ah, Vikings will be playing day. on Saturday afternoon and Which two, ruins old bloggers, two old bloggers. Yep. Yep. Um, will we be having a rescheduled two old bloggers for that yes, week? We will on that one. Uh, this week we have Vikings happy hour on Wednesday, eight o'clock central. They are live from Lake monster brewing. Boys down at Lake Monster, our beer partner, good beer partner, Matt and his gang, brew some fantastic beers. If you want to go down there and watch Matt, Miles, Ryan, and whoever else they have come along, could be some folks we know, join them there, drink beer, there'll be giveaways, beer, merch, everything will be wild and we'll have a good time. Thursday night, we have... The great Flip Mozzie and Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman and Viking Hot Takes. And as they look, they'll have their six questions and they like the Thursday better because they can, you know, do a little bit over this last weekend on questions and a whole bunch looking towards the Lions. They'll have that. Then Saturday at 4 Central, uh, two of bloggers, Darren and I will break down the, uh, Lions game with kitties even more. We'll look at the numbers. We'll look at who's playing, etc., etc. I might get into a piece. I started taking a whole boatload of notes today on player concussions. As we know, uh, Caleb Evans had his second concussion on Sunday, and he was already ruled out for Sunday, Dave. And uh, he's he's ruled out. I want to see some rule changes in particular. I would like to see if. A uh, player has a concussion that they automatically get a helmet upgrade. Um, and there are helmets that are better on concussions than other helmets. And there are helmets designed for linemen and helmets designed for people with speed that it's a little bit lighter. But they're both good at concussion protocol. And there is a few helmets that stand out of the crowd. I would like to see that because I want to protect these guys. And uh, let their careers be long and that they don't have to deal with CTE issues or concussion issues that we did back in the day and still do. And I'm, you know, I get brain fog every once in a while because of it. Um, But I'm doing research on that. That may be part of it. We'll see. There is a Sunday. We have the game. Of course, we go live in the final two minutes with the final score. Join us there. Uh, hopefully I'll remember to unmute my microphone, like unlike last week, but that was fun. We had a good <laughs> post-game show. And then we start the week all over. But on that following week, because the Vikings are going to be playing the Colts, 
that game got moved to Saturday, which is awesome because it means it's going to be on live TV for me and uh, no lag. And then, uh, so prime time noon, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. So we're not going to have the normal two old bloggers on Saturday. We'll have the final score on that Saturday. And then we'll bump two old bloggers to Sunday and do a post game breakdown of uh, that one in the way Darren and I only can. But that's it. That's what we've got in the lineup. It's busy, full, and I want to thank everybody for watching. And of course, yes, what do Odie we say? Does too. Oh, well, Odie's eating my feet, so we're going to say it quickly. Skull Vikings, everyone. Skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing. Home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.